Right, thank you for having us come tonight. It's a, really a privilege to be here. I want to say that your church, I do definitely love your uh, pastor in this church. Of course, my sister goes here, and uh, you all know her, and my brother-in-law, I guess I can claim him uh, too. But uh, I appreciate the church. We brought somewhere around 25 folks to the Jubilee and have been coming for several years, many years, four or five years since we've been in Fairmont. And I know you don't understand uh Jubilee, the Jubilee that you host, and I know you spend a lot of money and spend a lot of effort in it, but it's not just about the people that get saved there or the people that are called to the ministry there or the people that get encouragement there because let me tell you what 25 people that go back to a home church do. We have like the most amazing service, that first, that first service back. It's just unbelievable. It's contagious, and it come, you bring it back to our church, and, and you're doing that to churches all over the country. You know, the people are coming here, and they're getting involved in this atmosphere and this spirit, and, uh, man, it just runs all over you, and uh, they take it back to their church. And so your church has been a blessing uh, to our church in more ways than you would ever know. And I, I would say it's like that all over the country. I know that uh, your preacher in this church is very uh, respected, and we appreciate him. We appreciate you. Thank you for supporting uh, him. I would give a little bit of my testimony, if it would be okay, before I uh, preach. But I, uh, my mom is back there, my mom, my parents you know, we're divorced when I was four years old, and but uh, my mom decided to put us in a good uh, independent Baptist church, and uh, we didn't have the, the support system. That This isn't the way God intended for it to be, so I'm not trying to brag on that, but I tell you what, God can take something that messed up, and he can still make something out of it, and, and uh, my mom took us to church and got us involved and just tried to get us underneath the influence of different people. Uh, at Bethel Baptist Church in, uh, at that time in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was four years old. I still remember Brother Roy Westmoreland coming by our house. I was wearing a uh, Elvis the King T-shirt. Came down to pass my knees, a big old shirt. I was four years old. He came and he sat in the hallway and I had one of those little round balls with the Velcro on it. And that preacher knelt down to a little four-year-old boy and played that little target game right in our hallway as he visited my mother uh, for coming uh, to the church. But she uh, raised us there in a single-parent uh, home and uh, just got us involved as much as we could. And time went on, and my mom always told us that if, uh, if you ever want to go to the Christian school, you know, I don't have the money, but we'll try to figure it out somehow. I, I, I want you to go if you ever want to. Me and my sister... We're involved in uh, competitive sports, baseball, and she was involved in softball, and I played football, and I didn't want to leave the public school. I think the last year that I played uh, really was my eighth grade year. My eighth grade year, um, God had got a hold of my heart. In December of my eighth grade year, I got saved, and then March of my eighth grade year, I surrendered to preach, and, and God called the most unlikely fella you could ever imagine uh, to preach the night my, my when I God been dealing on my heart and I'm just I mean convicted as can be in, a, in an environment that was a great environment there at my home church and I went down and told my youth pastor God was dealing with me about preaching and he he prayed with me and I still wanted to play football you know I thought maybe Tim Tebow or something you know maybe that was, that was before Tim Tebow but that's what I had on my mind I, I'll still play football baseball be a preacher too and 
But he, he knelt down at the altar with me and he said, uh, God, tonight, uh, Brother Josh is coming before you and he don't care anything about baseball and he don't care about football and he's not worried about making money. And I was kind of peeking. I was like, wait a second, I don't remember signing up for all that. But uh, he said tonight he's surrendering to be a, a gospel preacher and he wants to be a full-time preacher. That's what God, you've called him to do and we thank you for it. Well, he, he told my preacher what had happened and my preacher brought me up and that night, in uh, March of uh, 1998 and he uh, brings me up to the platform and he put his arm around me and uh, I mean I, I couldn't get in front of people at the time like I'm mean, talking about like uh, oral book reports I just I just had to take a flunking grade because I couldn't possibly stand in front of people and give an oral book report and uh, he, he put his arm around me and he said Josh I want you to tell the congregation what happened to you tonight and uh, I couldn't get a word out for nothing. All I could do was go. <laughs> he said, well, don't you tell them what happened? And I went. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, it, it's okay. He said, he said, it's a good thing. He said, God's called uh, Josh to preach. And how many of you will uh, pray for him and, and such. And, uh, and uh, that was the start of it. He asked me to preach the next Sunday night. He said, I'm going to give you five minutes. I want you to preach a sermon. I don't have any preachers in my family, nobody at all. And I thought, what am I going to do? I don't know how to preach. I don't know who to call about a sermon. So I just did what most Baptist preachers do. I opened up a Bible that my mom had with some old notes in it and stole another preacher's message. And uh, I preached it that night. And, and uh, it was a, a blessing, I guess, for somebody. I don't know if anybody got anything out of it. But uh, it, that's how it all got started. That eighth grade year, I'm still in the public school. My sister's in the public school. She's three years younger than me. But God began to work on me. I told my mom in that spring of that year, I'd like to go to Christian school. And uh, God had, uh, you know, I was wanting to go to camp and stuff. That last year, I think we played 96 or 97 baseball games. We played every Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We played Tuesdays and Thursday nights uh, in a league. And then, you know, tournaments on the weekend. And that was our life. And I, I said, I, you know, God's pulling me away from this. And coaches came by my mom's house and tried to talk her into, you know, telling her she was making a big, big, big mistake. Big mistake, you pull him out of the school and this could be his college. This could be, you know, help you out uh, financially down the road. But I'm glad she made that decision. And she said, I don't have the money, but I tell you what, uh, we'll, we'll do it. She said, we'll figure out a way. I'll put you in there. I can, I can come up with the first month. Well, at the time, my sister, she's still rebellious, and uh, she, was, uh, she was playing softball. She didn't want to quit uh, the public school. That was going to be her sixth grade year, going to be my ninth grade year. And so she said, I'm going to go to public school. My mom said I didn't have the money. At the same time, she bought a house in Olive Branch, Mississippi for $108,000. And a single parent, as I said, she's trying to put us through uh, school, not making a bunch of money. She wasn't, you know, a millionaire or nothing. I'm telling you, God was going to have to do it. Well, she said, I'll put you in there. She said, I got the first month. I don't know how we'll come up with the second month, but I got the first month. About the same time, my dad had an accident at uh, work and became disabled and couldn't, you know, pay any child support or anything like that. And it was really bleak, you know, no extra money and such. But the government... The United States government sent my mother a check for $8,000 and said, hey, you know, you're, you're, um, my dad had uh, been disabled and said, you know, this check is yours. And she called him and said, hey, I don't think this is right. 
you know, nobody said anything about a check coming. And she said, I, I'm just going to tell you, uh, we, I need to know if this is legit or not because this money's fixing to be gone. And there ain't going to be no getting it back, you know, because it's going to be spent. And so they said, no, it's legit. It's supposed to be. You take it money. You spend it however you want to. And she, she went and paid off the school year for me and my sister and, and was able to buy uniforms, all that, everything that we had to have, and uh, put us through there. And let me tell you what happened. Four years later, four years later, she sold that house. She bought for $108,000. She sold it for $225,000. The Lord had helped her make a good investment there. We moved closer to the church, and, and wouldn't you know it, the government called back and said, uh, you remember four years ago we sent you a check for $8,000. Said it was a mistake. Said we need the money back. <laughs> but she had the money, you know, because the Lord let her sell the house. And so Uncle Sam put us in a Christian school uh, when you, you, you never know what God's going to do and how he's going to do it. And I thank the Lord uh, for that. And, and I can tell a lot of stories about uh, Brother Stephen Cameron. He's been a blessing to us as well. Brother uh, Casey, we rode to school together throughout high school in those Christian school. My wife worked on the bus route with Brother uh, Stephen Cameron, and he uh, just has been a blessing to our family, the Camerons have. I thank the Lord uh, for them. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the opportunity. Hebrews chapter number 12, if you would. All right, if you could stand, we'll read one uh, scripture here. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll read verse number 29, if we could tonight, and we'll open in prayer. It's a familiar verse. I'm going to read from John 5 as well here in just a little bit, but if you could just read there in Hebrews 12. I'll read it, verse number 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Now that just, uh, really, I guess it burns within me. For our God is a consuming fire. Now there's a negative associated with that, but there's a positive as well. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I do pray, Lord, that I could get out of the way. Lord, I don't want to say anything that would be displeasing to you or embarrassing to you. Lord, or this church or a preacher in any way, Lord, I don't want my flesh to get in the way. So, God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and power. And, Lord, I pray that you would just give me your touch like you've never done it before. And, Lord, I pray that you could use me. And I pray, Lord, that we could walk out of here tonight and be encouraged to do a work for you. And, God, that you would use us in such. I pray that you would touch this place and these people. God, use us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Fire has always interested me. I don't guess I ever desired to be a fireman, but maybe a pyromaniac of some sort. But fire's amazing. How fire happens and what it accomplishes is quite amazing. In order to have a fire, you have to have the right ingredients. The right ingredients must be present for something to be able to burn. You know what it takes in order for there to be a fire? Something's got to be dead. Something's got to die if something's going to burn. It takes something that's dead, but it also takes something that's alive. You'll never have a fire. You cannot have a fire unless there's some oxygen. There has to be some oxygen. There has to be some breath on it. And you remember that because we're going to use it a little later in the sermon. So something's got to be dead and something has got to be alive. There's got to be uh, some breath to it. There's got to be some oxygen. 
First, you need to set everything in neat order at first. If you're building a fire, you got to stack it just right. In other words, there's a right way to build a fire. And uh, you could do it TP style or cabin style. And, and you got to get enough uh, space in there for air to work through it uh, to build a fire. But I tell you what, about a fire, I, I've had a hard time starting a fire before. There's been times when, boy, I tell you what, we were burning a building. I don't even think you're supposed to do this, but we were burning a shed, with, and uh, we couldn't get that thing to burn. I must have used 10, 12 gallons of diesel fuel to try to get it started. It wouldn't burn for nothing. But I tell you what, once that thing got to burning, you couldn't put it out for nothing. I mean, it was a hot, hot fire. You get something hot enough, and eventually everything will start to burn. As a kid, I loved to build a fire and poke around in the fire. And I heard uh, the saying, I was told many times, you're going to wet the bed playing with the fire. We, we like fire. Fire is something that throughout the ages of time, it's transcended uh, the ages of time. We find fire in Genesis. Matter of fact, the first mention of fire, the Bible uh, speaks about uh, fire and says that the Lord, uh, God, had rained down fire from heaven and he did that on a city I don't know if you know the name of the city but I tell you this it wasn't Gluttonville and it wasn't uh it wasn't Liarsville it was a uh, Sodom I mean you know people today say well there's 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 no difference in sin all sins the same all sin you know your sin their sin it's all the same we're just all sinners now that's not all the way true because we are all sinners and every sin that you could ever commit will make you a sinner and because of sin we do deserve to go to hell but I tell you what it wasn't all created equal it'll all make you a sinner it'll all send you to hell but there is definitely different ramifications and judgment uh, for different sin in this time in which we live I tell you 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 think about that we believe it in uh, criminally you you were to stand before a judge and you've got a, a pedophile on one side and somebody that cheated on their taxes on the other the judge doesn't say I tell you what I'm going to do I'm giving you 25 years and I'm giving you 25 years because all sin is just the same you both missed the mark you both did wrong and I tell you what I'm going to give you 20 that ain't the way it works they don't. They know that ain't the truth all these people saying that they know they're wrong about that it's not the same hey there is a judgment on a nation that will accept the sin of sodomy and so God rained down fire that's the first time we ever see fire in the Bible we can see its usages and we see its meanings and it, sometimes fire is a blessing. Our text is one little short verse in Hebrews and it says about our God, the God we've been singing about and uh, praying to and, and the God we've been worshiping tonight, the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. We find that phrase three times in the wonderful scriptures. The word consuming means deeply felt. It means that, that our God is a deeply felt fire. That word consuming means engrossing. It means that our God is an engrossing uh, fire. That word consuming means encompassing. It means that our God is an encompassing fire. That word consuming means gripping. It's to say that our God is a gripping fire. It means uh, immensing. 
It means intriguing. Our God is consuming. He's an intriguing and immensing uh, fire. That's who our God is. God's not boring. God's not dead. God's not drab. He's not dull. He's not uninteresting. In fact, He don't even have COVID. No, our God is a consuming fire. He's all-consuming. He's self-consuming. He's time-consuming. And so He's a consuming fire. Sometimes in the Bible, fire represents judgment, which is a bad thing. But sometimes the Bible talks about fire being a good thing and being spreading. And and sometimes there are both applications found within a portion of Scripture. Luke 12, 49, Jesus said, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? Now, uh, God has come to spread a fire. Christianity is about a fire burning in our heart, and that fire ought to be spread. Jesus wants the fire to spread. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter number 5, and we'll get right to uh, the message here uh, tonight, if you would. John chapter 5. One of my heroes, if it'd be okay, uh, in the Bible is John the Baptist. I mean, I love John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist was an unusual character, and uh, John the Baptist is a hero. I mean, you talk about somebody with a backbone and somebody that could stand and, and somebody that would pay the price. And In fact, I was talking to a uh, co- Congress uh, member last night, and, and I said, you know, uh, these churches are so soft and so uh, weak, and men are so soft and weak. We don't even understand. I mean, everybody that Jesus had following him, uh, they didn't get uh, standing ovations everywhere they went. They didn't die of old age. No, they were slain in the streets. They were drugged through the streets until dead. They were filleted alive. They were pierced with lances. I mean, these were men that uh, paid a great price to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, those one of my favorites. And here's what the Bible says about him uh, in John chapter 5 and verse number 35. I want you to look at it. He was a burning and a shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in His light. I like that first part. He was a burning and a shining light. I think everybody in here, if you're a Christian, you'd have to want to sign up for being a bright light. I mean, anybody that's anything, if you're a preacher boy or somebody called in the ministry, if you're a layman in this church, we have a duty when we walk out of here uh, to start punching holes in darkness and to be a bright and shining light. I think we ought to desire to do that. But I tell you what was said about John the Baptist. We know he was a bright light. I mean, we know everywhere he went, people knew where he stood and what he was all about. But it says about John, he wasn't just a a bright light, but he was a burning, a burning and shining light. One day, the great man of God, A.W. Tozer, he pastored about 30 miles from where I pastor. The man who wrote much about our God, he wrote that incredible little resource, that book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He was preaching in Indiana at a Bible college with a new young preacher named Tom Malone. And Tom Malone got to meet with him and sat down at breakfast one day with Tozer. And he said, Dr. Tozer, he said, I know why you're here, but I have no idea why I'm here. And Dr. Tozer, he said, I just got to ask you a question. How can a young man like myself be filled with the Holy Ghost of God, be filled with the power of God? 
Tozer referenced this verse right here in John chapter number 5 in verse 35 about John the Baptist and he asked uh, Brother Malone really a three word question that I want to ask you tonight and it's this, can you burn? He said most men want to shine but to be filled with the Spirit of God you have to be willing to burn. He said it's like a candle. When you're sending off light, you're being consumed. And to be filled with the Spirit, you have to be willing to burn. And he said, let me tell you something, Mr. Malone. i got to ask you a question. If you want that, you can have it. You can have it. But you, can you burn? Can you burn? John the Baptist came as a voice, a forerunner to the Christ, and he said that he was a burning and shining light. John was the greatest. The Bible says the greatest ever born among women. But Jesus said the least in the kingdom would be greater than John. What was he trying to say? He was trying to say that John uh, didn't have everything that you and I are going to have in this day that we live in. Uh, John didn't have... Uh, we, we look back on the gospel. He was looking forward, believing it by faith. We can look back and say that's a historical record. That's the biblical record. We got more light than John had. We got the complete canonization of the scriptures. I mean, we've been given more light. God's been good to us. And John was a burning and a shining a light. And we ought to be a light today because our God is a consuming fire. It's like that coal, oil, a lamp there. And I tell you what, that, that light uh, it, it shines and you light it and it's got some oil down in it and that wick goes down in there. And you keep pulling it and really the fire is only burning from the oil that's down in the lamp and you're in trouble when you run out of oil because when you run out of oil, you're going to be a smoking flax. Matthew chapter 11 talks about that and, and Jesus said, I'm not come to quench you out and I'm not here tonight to give a, a, a dud of a report, an evil report. I'm trying to say there's still time. You might be here tonight. And you might be running on fumes. You might not have much oil left in the lamp. You might be just smoking and just a flicker of a light. But God would like to put some more light in you because He'd like to see you burn. He'd like to see you burn. i got to ask you the question, can you burn? Jesus came as a consuming God. He's a consuming fire. He's an overwhelming control. He's encompassing in all that is said and done. Jesus came to set the world on fire. Jesus in His ministry taught and healed and sparked and burned. But after the cross and the empty tomb, a fire would begin to spread. And Jesus said this, He said, Greater works than these shall He do. The flames of fire appeared on the apostles and thousands were saved because of the fire. Can I ask you a question tonight? Can you burn? I didn't ask you tonight if you walked in here and you were popular. I didn't ask you if you've got a lot of money. I didn't ask you who your parents are or what your backstory is. I'm asking you, you got in here tonight and we're all in here together. And here's the question, can you burn? It doesn't matter where you came from or how you got here. We all came in under the blood. If you're here tonight, save. And our God is a consuming God. He's an all-encompassing God. And He wants to know, can you burn? It was Moses that knew about the fire. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. In verse number 4, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. 
Let me say it like this. He said, Moses, Moses, God is a consuming fire. I'm going to show you some things like you've never seen before. But I got one question. Can you burn? The children of Israel were led in a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And really, the question was, can you burn? You remember old Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and, and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, be it known unto thee, O king. We will not serve thy God. And Nebuchadnezzar, he was hot. And he heated up that furnace seven times hotter than he'd ever heated it before. And he cast him in there. And we don't know exactly what was said. But I imagine it went something like this. I mean, because we do know that God showed up on the scene in there with them in the fire. And right in the time of their life, when the, like, they, were, they were under a trial like they never had before, under the pressure like you couldn't even imagine. But somebody was down there in the fire with them. And I think it went something like this. All right, boys, I want you all to know I'm still here. You're not going to die. We're going to make it through this. But I got one question to ask you. Can you burn? Because I'm going to walk right through the fire with you. And I came to ask you the same question tonight. Can you burn? Nebuchadnezzar looked down and he saw four men loose, not heard. And the fourth is as like the Son of God. Somewhere along the way, those three boys learned what it was to burn. I thank God that he intervened. And said uh, to them, I'm going to walk you through. He walked with them before the fire, in the fire. And he came out with them out of the fire. He's a consuming God today. Can you burn? Jesus came to this world with a mission. To set the world on fire. Not with destruction, but with devotion. What about you tonight? Can you burn? I know, uh, I, I just want God uh, to walk with me and I want God to use me up however He wants to use me and burn. I just want to be a bright light and burn for God's glory and for His honor for God to use me. I want to be consumed with the fire of God and have something that's real and, and something that, that motivates me and drives me and that's what our God is. He's that all-consuming God. Can you burn? I just want to be a burning in a shining light like my hero that I read about, John. He was a burning and shining light. We must be willing to burn. The saints mentioned in Hebrews 11 knew what it was to burn. The others, I think about, they were stoned and they were sawn asunder and were tempted and slain with the sword and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented. You think about that sheepskins and goatskins they would take uh, those those Christian people and and they would uh, uh, tie them up in in skins. They'd take those skins and wet them down so they could stretch them and they'd wrap them around them and then and then sew up the seam. And while they were still wet and while they would stretch and they'd pull it tight where they couldn't move their arms and then they'd throw them out in the heat of the desert and and cause those skins to begin to contract and and it would just suffocate them to death. They couldn't move their arms to get any water to drink and and it would just suck the very life right out of them and, and buddy we, we've got it made tonight I mean the worst thing you got going is you got to listen to me for a little bit longer and you might be later getting out of here tonight than you usually are but we're talking about people that gave their life and we're not willing to burn the saints in Hebrews 11 do what it was but the Bible said there were others Others that were martyred down through the centuries. People that were willing uh, to burn for the glory of God. 
The Baptist uh, Felix Manns was drowned, refusing to recant uh, believers' baptism. And they said uh, about him, they said, you like water so much, I tell you what we'll do. We'll give you water. And they drowned him to death. They burned others at the stake on the banks of those same waters. In the 17th century, there were two fires going on at one time in the world. One was the fire of London that burned the city off the map. The other was the fire that hit within the heart of the Baptist preacher John Bunyan. Bunyan knew what it was to burn. It's that sacred uh, Yamuna River that runs into the Taj Mahal and has its banks in every town burning gats. And they would pile up bodies there and they would burn them. And every time a man uh, uh, was martyred, his wife would either be burned with him or drowned in the river while he burned and then thrown into the vat with him. The gnat with him. Gat with him, I believe. Tourists were amazed. Over the years, they would go and look at those places and they said it was unbelievable the size of the turtles because those turtles had fed on the uh, charred remains of martyrs, Christian martyrs throughout the years. Their bodies would be dumped into the river and the turtles would eat of them. It was William Carey, that missionary that would lay down at night and wake up in the morning to the wailing cries of the poor martyrs who said his heart burned within him to give his life to the message of Jesus Christ because of what he heard when some people knew what it was to burn. It is said that he preached to over 200 million Indian people. He knew what it was to burn. Tonight, can you burn? I mean, there uh, are... Our heritage is so rich. I mean, Nero would take and uh, kill Christians and and use their bodies as human torches to light his uh, gardens. I mean, people have paid a price for us to be here tonight. And we can't even pass out a track. We can't even witness to our neighbors. We can't even invite somebody to a church. you got a church here. I mean, everybody in America like a place like this. And you're sitting here living here. I mean, you're here every single week. You get to enjoy the presence of God. And you can't invite somebody to this church. You're not burning. You say, I'd be willing to die uh, for the faith. And you ain't even told your neighbors that you, what you believe. You haven't even told the people your cubicle next to you at work what you believe. I mean, you're not willing to burn. Would to God he consume us tonight as a burning fire. Real quick tonight, what does the fire bring? I'll tell you what it brings first. It'll bring light. The Bible said about John, he was a burning and shining light. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Isn't it a blessing? I mean, I, I don't know what it's like. My preacher used to say in the 70s, they started bus ministry in Memphis, and they said, they said you could just drive around with a church bus and honk the horn and people would run out there to it. Now that would be neat. I can imagine all the fastest growing uh, churches in America are independent Baptist churches and are busting at the seams. That would have been neat, but I tell you what God gave me an opportunity to do. He gave me an opportunity to be a preacher in a very dark, dark time in our nation's history. And what a blessing to be a burning and shining light in this day in which we live. I mean, it brings light. You ought to bring some light to darkness. 
I mean, we're not, we're not walking around here defeated with our head in the sand. No, you ought to be out in the world uh, punching some holes in darkness. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. But too many people are apathetic. Too many people got their head in the sand uh, uh, pretending uh, it don't all exist. No, God wants you to be a burning and a shining light. You know, I tell you what, in, it, it's a dark, it may be bright outside this summer. It may be good and hot, but I tell you what, it's still in a dark, dark world out there. You know, it's still right, I'll preach to the ladies just for a second, but it's still right uh, to be a light in public uh, today. It's still right to dress right. It's still right to be, a, uh, to be a lady. It's still right to be holy. It's still right for a man to live holy and to live uh, righteous and to be a holy light in this dark night. You say, what, what, what does that look like? That's the big argument today. What does it look like? Flip with me at 1 Peter chapter 3. They say, what does it look like? I mean, what does it look like to be holy? How do we know what that looks like? Well, you, get, you get consumed with a holy God and you're going to find out what holiness looks like. But we do have the scriptures. What does holy look like? Look at 1 Peter chapter number 3 and, and verse number 3. I want to show you something. The Bible said in verse 3, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be a hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. For after this manner, in the old time. Now you watch real closely because uh, Peter's about to tell you something about the old time. The old time way, really. It's the old time. Old time, the holy women. Now, now aren't we? isn't that what you're wanting to be? You want to be a holy woman. I mean, don't you? I mean, if you're here tonight and you're a lady and you have no desire uh, to be a holy woman, boy, you're in the wrong spot because you, those that are in this room, ought to be wanting to be a holy woman who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Watch verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting because this is 60 years after the death of Jesus Christ. 1800 years after we see the story of Abraham and Sarah. And, and God inspired uh, Peter to write down these words. Here's an example you ought to look at. Here's somebody who, who models exactly what I'm trying to say. I want you to look back. To back, way back, 1800 years to old time, and I want you to look at Sarah. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter number 12. Her story's in Genesis 12. Now, I'm not going to say anything about Abraham because he's not exactly going to win husband of the year right here. But in, he, in Genesis chapter 12, if we read in verse number 11, I want you to notice something. That I want to encourage all the ladies, especially the young ladies, because I appreciate it when uh, some young people and some ladies des decide that I'm going to dress right and I'm going to be a light in a very dark world. Because our world doesn't like it. Our world can't stand for ladies uh, to look like ladies and, and to look holy and godly. Our world despises it and mocks it and ridicules it. But I want, you to I want to show you something. Verse number 11, chapter, Genesis 12, verse number 11. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. I'll stop right there. Fair. Thou art a fair woman to look upon. Here's what he said. He said, you know, I got a wife. And, and she's a beautiful woman. 
Fair enough. Verse 12. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians... Who's the Egyptians? Egypt in the Bible represents the world. When the world shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, here's what happened, exactly what he thought would happen. The Egyptians, or this world, beheld the woman that she was very fair. Now you would think that word fair just means beautiful and and here's a beautiful lady and and that's what the world wants. They want all these beautiful women and, and that's what they're after. These Egyptian men are after these beautiful women. But it's not just the word beauty. Because fair is beautiful but it's based on three things. Goodness, pleasantness, and godliness. That's what the word fair there means. Uh, it's, it's goodness, pleasantness, and godliness. And here's what happened. Here's this woman, and Abraham said, uh, the Egyptians are going to, the world is, are going to look at you, and they're going to say, here's a woman that is very good and very pleasant and very godly, and they're going to want you. Yeah. Who? The church? No, the world. Can I give a testimony to you young ladies and the women here tonight? The world takes notice. Don't let them fool you. What's holy look like? They know what holy looks like. When my wife walks in the store and these Egyptian men with their Egyptian wives flaunting everything sensual as they can be, but you let a lady walk in front of them, they'll trip over trying to open the door for my wife. They know what a godly woman looks like. Egypt knows what a godly woman looks like. And that's exactly what happens when you start to burn. You start to be a light in a dark, dark place. It brings light. But number two, it brings warmth to cold hearts. Matthew 24, 12 says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know why the church in America is so sick and cold and indifferent? Because she's no longer burning. There's no fire. I'm determined tonight. I'm not going to let it be me. I'm not going to let it be Hampton Road. Baptist Church, it's a place that's cold and dead and indifferent and apathetic to the world around us. No, I want to just stand up the best I can and be a burning, a burning and shining light like my hero John the Baptist was. A burning and shining light. I'm not going to be a wet blanket or a bucket of ice water. No, sir, I want to burn. Can I ask you tonight? Can you burn? A fire brings passion and love. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 verse number 9 that the word of God was like a fire shut up in his bones. I told our church the other night, I'm sorry, you you have to know what you got, but I can't stand around when our city, when when they they painted our city a logo, it hadn't changed in eight years, and then they put the sodomite flag on it the other day. And I said, I can't let that pass. I'm going to the city council and saying something to them about it. And I was the only one that showed up. All the other preachers, they backed out. I said, well, it's fine. I don't care what you do. Let me tell you what it's in me. The word of God's bubbling over in me. It's like a volcano. I can't keep my mouth shut about it. Jeremiah said, I could not forbear. It was the word of God was burning in me as a burning fire. And I had to say something. I had to let it out. Can you burn? I don't want to ever get over God saving me. 
I don't want to ever get over or lose the zeal that God would take a 14-year-old boy and he would call him to preach, somebody who couldn't even stand before people and God would try to use and let me be a pastor and I get to be a dad to four boys and God's let me live the most amazing and incredible life and I don't deserve a single bit of it. How can I not burn? I don't want this old King James Bible to grow cold on me. I don't want to open it up and it not speak to me. No, I I want to be like a Job. God maketh my heart soft and the Almighty troubleth me. I just want to be troubled by God. When I'm doing wrong, I want Him to trouble me. When I'm bothered, I want Him to trouble me. I want to pick up this book and it just to be a fire in my soul. And God, help us to burn. Can you burn? Fire gives direction. It was the exodus pillar of fire that led them. You never undo in darkness decisions that you made in the light. So many people mess it up. They're not burning. I don't even think people that aren't burning ought to have a vote in a business meeting. If you ain't right with God, keep your mouth shut. I mean, what are you trying to act like you know it all? And you ain't you ain't you know God ain't you ain't had no time with God at all. You're not in a position to have a vote on something that's spiritual and that matters. No, but would to God every single one that would cast a vote in a business meeting about this church would be members that were burning. Can you burn? Fire gives direction. Carnal people can't make spiritual decisions. Fires. Here's the last thing I'm done. Fires will be used to test the genuineness of our faith. 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians and we're done. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians 3 and verse number 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You know what it's all going to boil down to? One day, if you're saved here tonight, you're going to face the judgment seat of Christ. And your life will either be wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. Here's what's going to make the difference. Whether or not you can burn. That's a very real day. I'm trying to encourage you tonight to burn. I mean, really desire to burn. Matter of fact, it's not really a question anymore. Can you burn? I want to tell you there's a lot of things you can't do. But there's one thing you can do. You can burn. I'm not going to win any popularity contest. I want to be respected, have a good name carry good testimony but I tell you this I may not ever make it on the big billboard downtown or in the paper on the front page but I tell you I can definitely 
burn. I can burn in Fairmont, West Virginia. I can burn everywhere God would ever let me go. And can't nobody stop it. My hero, John, he was a burning and a shining light. I got a question for you tonight. Can you burn? You sure can if you'd let God do it with you. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I pray that you could bless these words in your book, your message. And Lord, I pray that some young people would get on fire for you and decide to burn. I pray that my age group would decide that it's time to start burning.